the amount of energy we spend trying to stave off difficult feelings is just enormous. And so I think if in within the context of therapy, we can really drop into whatever it is. There's such relief there. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning into another episode of I'm Not Your Shrink. Today, I am sharing the podcast episode where I got to sit with Dr. Jessica Zucker, the creator of the hashtag I Had a Miscarriage campaign and the psychologist behind the popular Instagram account of at I Had a Miscarriage. Dr. Jessica Zucker is a Los Angeles-based psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health. She specialized in this field long before experiencing a second trimester miscarriage firsthand. She writes extensively on the topic for outlets such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, New York Magazine, and Vogue. And I'm so excited to share this piece. Her first book, I Had a Miscarriage, a Memoir, a Movement, comes out March 9th this year. So it's coming out this week. I wanted to reflect on today's episode to let you know a little bit of my own process around what it was like to sit with Jessica. As we showed up as two women and mothers who have both experienced pregnancy loss, I found myself getting into comparative suffering. And I know so many of you can relate to that experience where you hear someone's story and you think, gosh, my story wasn't that bad. Comparative suffering is something that so many of us experience. And in addition to pregnancy loss and the grief we normally think of when it comes to loss, it has also come up around this pandemic. We get stuck in these thoughts of, well, I haven't got it that bad. I should just be grateful whatever those stories might be. And I know that this kind of thinking, this comparison game actually robbed me from grieving my own miscarriage experience and really kept shame continuing to stay there. This is actually something that Jessica and I talk about in the episode. In all of the work that I have done to date outside of my therapy office in media, I have yet to actually explain what my miscarriage looked like and actually didn't think I would label it in today's session. So I found myself feeling incredibly vulnerable as I sat with Jessica through this episode and she turned the questions around on me, of course, from a place of such kindness and compassion. And at the same time, I also felt myself feeling incredibly seen and validated. I hope that as Jessica and I both touch on our own experiences and stories and talk about this important topic that you too can gain some kind of understanding for yourself, whether you have gone through pregnancy loss or if you know someone that has experienced loss. If you have never experienced pregnancy loss before and you are here listening, maybe there is something in this episode that allows you to show up differently with your loved ones. Maybe there's a piece of insight that you gain. Sometimes people come to me and ask, 
I, I think I misstepped. Can I go back? Can I tell them? Is it too much time? And I want you to know that if this is your experience, that it is never too much time that has passed between an event, that you can't go back to heal something with someone that you love. One of the most powerful things that we can do in our relationships is to know that we make mistakes and we can go back and heal. Let's go into today's episode. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me here today on the podcast. I am so glad that we are having this opportunity to sit together and talk about something that is so important. Of course. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm honored to be in conversation with you. Maybe we can start with a few things about you just so we know who you are. Sure. So I am a Los Angeles-based psychologist. I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and have done so for over a decade. I've been saying for over a decade, it feels like for over a decade. So it may almost be two, (laughs) but anyway, no, it's not. Um, But yeah, so what a lot of people don't seem to know about my story and situation is that I specialized in this field long before undergoing a pregnancy loss firsthand. So when I specialized in this, I have a background in in public health. I have a master's degree in public health and worked internationally focused on women's reproductive issues. So when I decided to pursue my PhD, I had sort of this idea of somehow marrying my public health background with my clinical passion. And so I've been specializing in this ever since. And so that means I sit across from women and families who are here to talk about fertility, pregnancy, pregnancy loss, uh, terminating for medical reasons, perinatal and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, uh, selective reduction, the list goes on. And like I said, you know, I, I had been sitting here hearing these things and knowing as much as I could from books, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, So knowing sort of the theory and the research and the science around some of these things. uh, But I I couldn't relate firsthand. And I don't believe that therapists have to be able to relate firsthand Mm -hmm. um, to be able to specialize in something, of course. Uh, And then... In my second pregnancy at 16 weeks along, I had a miscarriage when I was home by myself. And so the loss was so dramatic and traumatic the way it all unfolded, uh, which sort of catapulted me into another galaxy for a while, um, emotionally speaking, but also inevitably transformed who I am, you know, personally, but also from a professional perspective. So, you know, here I was with a belly that everybody could see. And of course that in itself was sometimes, you know, triggering for patients because they were either hoping to be, couldn't get pregnant, just lost a pregnancy, were pregnant, but struggling. And here I am in my first pregnancy, not being able to relate to any of that. Again, they, it's not like my patients actively ask me questions about myself Mm -hmm. necessarily, but, and then to be again, visibly pregnant four months along and then lose the pregnancy was very, of course, shocking and concerning and terrifying for a lot of the people I was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it really kind of blurred the boundaries 
in the therapeutic context and eventually became something that I decided that I had to be very actively a part of in terms of changing the cultural conversation around pregnancy and infant loss and life after. Miscarriage occurs in one in four pregnancies, and yet we're, we're talking about it as frequently as if it's like, as if it happens one in 10,000. Right. And so it's just, it's time. Yeah. And you are doing such important work around that with your Instagram space of, Thank uh, you. At, I had a miscarriage and, you know, I, I can, I can understand that, you know, we don't talk about it enough that even when I think of my own experiences that, um, you know, my first pregnancy ended in loss and mm. nobody, and this is often the story that we hear is that yes. nobody was talking about it. That's right. And for women, we don't even prepare the consideration around when you're thinking about having a baby and getting pregnant, that this is something that could happen. And right. it really leaves us feeling really isolated, all, all of that. What, what do you see are the common Completely. themes that come up? Well, that's exactly it. You know, this sense of the research shows that a majority of women are feeling a sense of, you know, self-blame, guilt, and shame in the aftermath of loss. And and that in itself is sort of what got me to want to, you know, create the hashtag and write extensively on this topic because I want to understand why this is the case, but I also want to make a dent in shifting the reproductive script somehow. Uh, and I'm, I, ho- I hope that my, my forthcoming book does that as well. Um, because what is this? How is it that it's not until, like you just said, you go through your own loss that you realize that your aunt had one, your best friend had one, your neighbor had one, and your third grade, you know, friend had one too. It just doesn't... And... I know, you know, some people sort of respond to me by saying, well, is, is it, do you think that therefore everybody needs to get on a rooftop and shout their story? I completely don't. I'm all for privacy if people don't want to talk about it, but I do think that there's something in between that's going on, mm-hmm. which is to say that you don't have to necessarily, you know, write a piece like I did for the New York Times explicating every detail of the gory, horrible, you know, heartbreak. But if you're not sharing your story because of shame, self-blame, guilt, feeling like you're defective, feelings like something's wrong with you, all these, then there's a problem there. And how, what's the antidote to that? Well, I see it as if the more we sort of commune around this topic, like the more we're comfortable sharing our uncomfortable stories and situations, the sooner we will get to living in a society that acknowledges that pregnancy loss is a normative outcome of pregnancy. Hmm. Right. I mean, I hope, I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah. my math is faulty. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. Right. The, these are you know, issues that we need to be talking about um, just as much as, you know, planning for a wedding, planning, like, right. right. When you think about all of those things, planning totally for career changes, we, we need to be talking about this. And, and again, yes. I think you touch on something that is so important is that if you are hiding in that space of self-blame and shame and you're not talking about it, it really begs the question of why is that? 
Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. 
and you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Right. And all too often what I hear is I was met with baffling and completely awkward or stilted platitudes that made me feel worse. So then why should I persist in sharing my experience that's so painful. And, and, you know, I talk about this in the book as well. We, we sort of, our, our default, um, the, the sort of cultural trope, I think, around miscarriage is that it's heartbreaking. And I do think it's important just to note here that not for some, it's not. Mm-hmm. Not all people have that exact emotional sequela at, in the aftermath. So some people feel relief. Some people had an intuition or like a gut feeling, they explained, that that something was wrong in the pregnancy. And in a way, the pregnancy ending kind of helps them trust their body more or something. Or some people, there are some people who don't necessarily get attached to the idea of a pregnancy the moment they pee on a stick and the, the double lines come up. And for others, they see it as the scientific thing and that miscarriage is for lack of a better way of putting it and i would say this in quotes you know that it's nature's way it, it's it's you know a natural course of action mm. um that that because a majority of miscarriages are due to chromosomal abnormalities that this is sort of the body um taking over and and that the baby wasn't you know going to be able to develop uh Anyway, so I just wanted to include that in the conversation. I, I did not feel a sense of relief. I did not, however, feel a sense of self-blame. And it might be because I had had, you know, an easy first pregnancy and had a healthy son. So maybe that's why my mind did not dart to this dark place of like, something's wrong with you. You probably did this or that. You shouldn't have done that or this, you know, all these things that people often do to themselves, trying to locate control where there is none. That element of control there. So yeah, you have just like pinned that for me because that, you know, and I've heard that from some women where they have said, I have this beautiful child. Yes. The miscarriage was painful, but I can also see the beauty in my life right now. Yes. When I think about my first experience, my first pregnancy ending in loss, it was that spiral into self-blame. It was the, I didn't want to tell people because I thought there was something wrong with me. It was the, Mm. that loss of control. And I know you can relate to 
this because, you know, yes. have a PhD as well, that in the sense that we like control. with the <laughs> I like order anyway. <laughs> Come on. Okay, who like, doesn't? Maybe not control, but like right. but it's one of our human qualities, right? But exactly. you know, here I am a, a high achieving right. individual that, you know, thrives on perfectionism. It's been a lifelong That's right. thing I'm working on. Totally. Don't even work on it. Just, just embrace it. <laughs> it's working for you. You know, I, I had everything planned. Uh, we had yeah. wedding planned. We had when right. I spend, when I was finishing. Yeah, of course. Now we're ready for a baby. Yep. And then it's like the ultimate lesson in you don't get to control any of this. Yes, that's yeah. right. So what, what is your story? Were you able to find out the reasons for the end? Was the fetus tested or? um... It was an early loss. So it was Uh around nine weeks. Okay. um, And we discovered it was a blighted ovum. Okay. And the feeling of shame that really came up for me was this, it wasn't really a baby. Oh. Right. Right. And so I don't know if you want to explain what a blighted ovum is for anyone who doesn't know. You you explain it since you went through it. You probably <laughs> would know way so more long. than me since that's your experience. I've, it's yeah. been so long. I don't even know if I can accurately um, describe that. It's when it doesn't, um, there's an implantation and then there is the sac, but then the baby doesn't develop. And so your body thinks that you're still pregnant. And so I was continuing to go on. I can actually remember, you know, I think as many of us do, I was actually in session with a client and, Mm. you know, the, I, I, a migraine aura came over me and then going to the washroom and then having blood. So that was kind of the, the start of, of my miscarriage. Yeah. Wow. So really interesting. And, and I think what, Oh, that's so difficult. Yeah. It is, right? And well, do you have a history of headaches, by the way? Just to no. No. Yeah. And had you seen a heartbeat previously? No. 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 Okay. You hadn't been to the regular care in Canada is they Mm -hmm. you don't do well in Ontario anyways, you don't do an ultrasound until 13 weeks. Unless for some other reason. Got it. I went to the ER bleeding and they said Mm. okay well let's do an ultrasound here okay well we can't it's really early we can't really see anything so we'll go and send you to another place so then I sat and waited for two days and then went for another ultrasound they make you wait for a day and then go back and yeah so you were bleeding all the while I had started to spot at the start yeah And, and so, you know, it, it's really interesting, right? Because then at the beginning, it, it is that kind of, okay, why is this happening to me? We don't even talk about this. You know, yep. family members don't really know what to say. Many of them not having experienced this either. You want yes. to hope for a positive outcome, but you're also trying to be realistic, right? Like it's just yes. all of that stuff that comes with it. But I think what took That's me right. by surprise was... um the expressions from other people was one piece, but then the following depression that came after, as I continued to focus and control trying Mm. to get pregnant again afterwards. So were you instructed to wait a few cycles or they said you could try straight away or? Oh, I think they said to wait a month to wait one cycle. Yeah. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So, I mean, those platitudes, right? If we think of what people would say, like, okay, you're okay. Get back to work this week. Um, yeah. At, at least, you know, you can get pregnant at least you're not that far along. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You're healthy and young. It's good. Yes. Happen. Yes. Yes. It's like all of this predicting the future by these people who don't have MDs. And even if you do, they can't, they don't, they can't really predict either. Uh, so I find that kind of interesting and very, and troubling too. It's just people trying so hard to contain the intensity of uncertainty and of budding grief and people, I think wanting to kind of pacify it if it's radiant, radiating off of you in waves, you know, it's like they want to contain it. And I think that it sort of pushes a lot of people underground, honestly. And I think that it's, it just can be so alienating because here you are having gone through a loss and you're befuddled, disappointed, maybe angry, maybe so sad, maybe so many different emotions. And then as you share, you're met with, I, you're young and healthy, so things will totally work out next time. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. And then you just are like confounded. Yes, of course. What do you say to that? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're totally right. Well, number one, again, we're this is like magical thinking because none of us know. Right. And, and what are we doing? We're sort of like overriding the current pain by talking about a fictitious future. Uh It's placating. I mean, it's kind of gaslighting even, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's very unhelpful. It's completely unsupportive. And I think people totally mean well, but unfortunately it can really push people to the outskirts of their communities. One of the things that helped me, perhaps maybe not immediately in that time, but kind of understanding those platitudes afterwards was really about kind of putting myself in the other person's perspective. I mean, of course, someone loves you. And when we think about different generations of parents and things that we've learned about emotions is that sometimes other people are not comfortable with being in your emotions with you, with being able to just sit with, this is really hard. I hear this sucks. And just, that's it, right? That is it. So it's not about, and really I try to give that permission to other people because I know that this can, again, for myself, lead back into my own control of like, why can't people just get this? Why can't people just let me have my emotions here? Totally. That for me, that it's that permission giving of, you know what? It's not, yes, it's painful. I can hold my pain and I can see that other people don't know what to do in those moments. That actually... It's incredibly hard. But when are they going to learn? Like, it's like, Uh I guess I just am at this kind of crossroads where I'm like, okay, I know it's well-meaning. I know it's confusing. I know that it's difficult to know what to do or say when you haven't been through something. Uh And yet I feel like we know what to say or do when we learn that a friend of ours who is young has cancer for example Mm. oh what an parallel you draw there right well I mean I know it's a different grief and it's a different trauma but because because I usually analogize to like grandparents dying you know that we know what to do when it's a loss that's more expectable the grandparent than our than our parents and then 
on from there. So this is an out of order loss, but I also just think it's interesting. Like when are we going to get comfortable simply saying, how are you doing? And I'm here for you rather than trying to like platitude it up, fix it, you know, predict the future Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, something. I, I, I don't, it's just interesting. Yeah. My, my cheeky response is when your book is out. <laughs> oh, I wish. This, I wish. This book is out. But I'm not going to hold my breath, but I love that idea. And, and I actually really like that you're, you're stating that, that in some ways that are we getting stuck in toxic positivity? And, yes. You know, wanting Thank you for putting it that way. Yeah, yeah. Right. That just kind of the, okay, keep on going when really let's make space for all experiences. And we don't, you know, and if I can even transition to into our partner's perspectives, mm. we don't have to fix things. We don't have to fix our partner's grief and loss. We can't. No. Yeah. I think it's an. I think it's a denial of how somebody feels when we attempt to fix. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real sort of lack of emotional intimacy in fixing. And it is like you were saying, you know, it's just such an attempt at control. It's one thing to try to control ourselves. Like, oh, you know, I've been good at everything in my life. I've achieved everything I've tried hard to, you know, achieve. Okay, pregnancy is outside of that realm. This is very confusing for me or something. But it's another thing completely when we try to control our partners or those around us in terms of how they're feeling about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what would you say to someone who's experiencing uh, pregnancy loss or um, a stillborn experience? Mm. What would you say to them in terms of helping their partner get on board? Because that's a common experience that comes up with the women that I work with is they, they say, you know, my partner is dismissing me or they're trying to just fix this. Like if we just think of the, the person experiencing this, how do we help them? How do we help them navigate their partnership? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, when you read my book, you'll see that I (laughs) I, I wondered about that question a lot in those early days. This is a tough one. I think personally, I had a very, you know, challenging time. I think I shut down in the context of my relationship because I did feel like I could not gauge where he was. I knew he was scared because, I mean, he rushed home that day. I had to, you know, cut the umbilical cord myself. The baby was laying there. We had to put it in a bag to bring to my doctor's office. I was hemorrhaging. I mean, it was a mess. Mm. Um, and And, you know life-threatening so Mm -hmm. but his sort of inarticulation of how he was what he was experiencing enraged me initially and I credit that you know to the hormones uh partly and just this sort of like yeah like I was spiraling and sinking at the very same time and what I think I thought I needed so badly was for him to kind of come with me or not, but to at least tell me where he was or something. So we just 
we were, we weren't, you know, on the same page, I guess you could say uh-huh. for a bit until we, fi- until he finally, and again, I get really detailed about this in the book and I, and I do that because I'm hoping to sort of use my story uh, to allow people into my life and also to model for others that the complexity is normal in the aftermath of loss that like, I think a lot of people want to jump straight to like, I felt so connected and we've only gotten closer. And that's awesome if that's true. But when I hear in my office, what really goes on that I've, I've literally never heard someone say that it actually made them closer, not initially anyway. Uh So when my husband was able to express the fear, the fear of losing me, not only the pregnancy on that day, then like my heart like reopened, you know what I mean? Like I, I knew we were coming back together uh, emotionally speaking. You, You needed him to show his own emotional vulnerability so that you could connect with it because in some ways going through that, it leaves you out like standing on a cliff. Like, am I here on my own? Is my partner going to catch me? Like, am, am I crazy to have these emotions without you experiencing some right. kind of reaction? Exactly. And I think he felt a pressure as did I, because we were already parenting. So we had this little person's eyes on us. He didn't know I was pregnant. He was too young to tell mm-hmm. him about it. He now knows, of course, now he's 12. Um, so that's a whole other piece of this conversation potentially. But yeah, I needed him and I needed his vulnerability exactly to kind of meet up with mine so we could be there together. So that is a long-winded way of saying, I don't have a great answer. I don't think that the onus should be on the person grieving. Mm-hmm to do all the work, to do all the work for the friends and the family to say, well, if you could just say this to me, and then also with the partner, oh, if you could just do this to me, it's like, talk about exhausting. Yes, of course. And yet, like, if you shut down and sort of, you know, I mean, you got to come back together at some point. So I think inquiring about, you know, how are you feeling? How is this going for you? I think too much of the conversation around pregnancy loss is about, you know, only supporting the person whose body went through it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that for that person, it is a multi, you know, pronged experience in a way that it is not for the, for the onlooker, you know, I mean, yes, they lost their potential, baby but their body did not get pregnant stay pregnant for a bit feel nauseous gain weight get boobs you know then bleed and bleed and bleed and then have a dnc and then i mean all of those things yeah all of it yeah yeah, absolutely. There is there is space for both emotion for both experiences that we that's important, but remembering that they are very different experiences. 
Yeah. I, I I can appreciate what you're saying there is that in some ways we can't show up to the table taking on 70%. When I say we, meaning the person who's experiencing the loss within the changes in their body, we can't show up more than that half. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have to be aware of how we are showing up, that if we are looking for a connection, if we are shutting down or yes. going into the blame and rage, which of course makes sense why we go there. But yes. those responses in some ways leave our partners not being able to be vulnerable with us and to come yeah. to us and to be open and sharing. It's a really delicate balance at that time. It really, really is. You will so appreciate this part of my book. Um, I get into that moment of when we really sort of like came back together and I was he had asked me a question. I was tempted to kind of be snarky uh, in my response. Uh-huh. And I was very aware of needing not to be and really like wanting to reconnect. And uh-huh. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I can understand that. That sounds <laughs> like you want to come to me now. Let me tell you how I'm going to protect myself and I'll yes. just the snarkiness. Yes. Um, but, but that, that choice there of, you know, mm-hmm. is this how I want it to go? What exactly. do I really need? Right. Like that question of like, what do I really need? Do I need us to keep having this distance or is that connection going to be more important here? Which is so hard to do in our couple relationships. That's right. And I love that we're having this conversation as therapists because it really shows people that even if you work in this field and you sort of talk about and explore emotions for a living, that that doesn't always translate exactly, you know, perfectly uh, in your own relationships. It just can't, especially when you're in the throes of trauma or grief. Right. Yes, we are still, even as therapists, we are still humans experiencing trauma and grief. Absolutely. And, and it, yeah, it's it's not a space to just keep the therapist hat on because in some ways that's stepping into that avoidance space and not connecting with that's the right. other person. Or, so true. Or also that element of taking that responsibility of, okay, I'm going to help you heal your emotions at the same time, which also is not the space for us to be in if we're going through that loss. That's right. Yeah. So then did you go on to experience a pregnancy after pregnancy loss? Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, so that was about five months after Mm -hmm. and which I know is relatively short in terms of time frame and waiting Um, in that time you know, it's funny how something, I can look back at this now and kind of remember how things show up in life. I was actually training in acceptance and commitment therapy in around the time I got my pregnancy, my positive test. Mm -hmm. And of course, acceptance and commitment therapy teaches us (laughs) what's the story in my mind and how can I start bringing that acceptance, that awareness to what, like acknowledging where is my mind right now? What's the story I'm telling myself? And then how am I going to step into what's meaningful in my life mm. rather than, and I can remember standing in my bathroom and blow drying my hair and it would repeat in my head, I had a miscarriage, I had a miscarriage. Yep. And, and it was just this story. And I became really engrossed. And my friends wouldn't have known this. I was really engrossed in online chat forums, trying to find the thing to help me get pregnant again. Oh. I was 
checking uh, body temperature, tracking my cycle and doing all mm-hmm. of those things. And really, you know, that training came at the right time in my life because it, it did hit me that I needed to get out of that, out of the story. I could have the story. I had a miscarriage. Yes. Yeah, this is part of the story. It isn't me. No. And I can still live a meaningful life. And I had to really get back into, I started gardening again. I started reading again and like doing all the things that were bringing right. joy um, rather than that spiraling of truly just wanting to hide away and, with the curtains closed in my bedroom. Yes. And, still, and still, you know, the interesting thing is that I was still functioning as yes. a psychologist, right? Still got up every day. I got dressed. I, you know, saw my clients. Most yep. people at work had no idea that I was going through that. Mm-hmm. And that that's how that unfolded. And it, it's, it, when I think of my partner, I mean, he also didn't know anyone who had this experience. We found out more afterwards that many other people had had this kind of experience, but again, no one talking about beforehand, but that that's kind of experience of how do we go through this together? And how do we go through pregnancy after pregnancy loss together? Because for, I mean, the fact that if it does work out this next pregnancy, Uh most people are terrified for a majority of those weeks. That's a very intense way to live. I would say that for the entire, so if you find out at four weeks, so then technically mm. I delivered at 41 weeks, 38, 37. Uh, I would so say long. That, that every day I went to the washroom and checked every Same. day. I was petrified. Me too. Yeah. And, and exhausting. And that doesn't leave you that feeling. And there's this, you know, our social media shows these beautiful images of mom and baby connecting right away. And Mm. they give the impression that we connect to our child right away. And I, I didn't initially, I thought that my son would be born and then I would just instantly feel this. And yet I was afraid the entire time. That's right. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm very sorry to hear that you went through that, but I I think that happens all too often and is completely under discussed and even ignored mm-hmm. because there's this sense like you, but you wanted a healthy baby so badly and you finally got it. You got pregnant. Just be happy that you're pregnant right. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the but same it, platitude theme, right? That somehow right. it's like you're predicting the future and the end goal. Yes. And that, oh, you're finally getting your happy ending. So you should be beaming and you should be grateful and Uh you should be obsessed with the role of mother. Right. But what people aren't talking about is like how that trauma, or for me, it was PTSD for sure, Uh like lingered. Yes. Once my healthy daughter was born, I did take a deeper breath than I had in 40 weeks or whatever it was. Uh But still, it went on because you're like, well, wait, now she's on the outside. Maybe she was actually safer on the inside. I mean, so it just. Yeah. Yeah. So you you can relate to that experience of just every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that that's not the case for a lot of people. I mean, I do hear luckily in my practice about, you know, a lot of 
uncomplicated early losses that don't sort of, mm-hmm. you know, damage their entire next pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, that they don't walk th- with fear every single day. But I think like your story and mine and too many others, if there's this kind of ongoingness of the loss, you mm-hmm. bleed for several days. There's, you know, that people are trying to figure this out. They don't know what's happening. Like, I think that really adds to the complication of processing this and of trusting that things will be different next time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when, I mean, if you think about it, like the ER tech says, well, our machine's old and we're not oh. really sure. So, you know, we can't really give you any information right now. And, and you're lying there thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> you, and just to drag it out, right? That it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean... Yeah, because then you're just like you and you feel when your body is kind of seen or felt like you're it's a statistic or that they that it doesn't feel as emergent for the people around you as it does for you. Right. I think that can ignite more fear, more rage, more resentment, more befuddlement. And it's yeah. Oh, not helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, it's just such a hard one. So, you know, it, I'm thinking of someone listening. When yes. when would you say is too much anxiety during that pregnancy? Do you have any kind of thoughts about that? Mm. The subsequent one. You mean too much anxiety? Yeah, like, like how do you know it's too much anxiety and you should maybe talk to someone? Although I guess, in, as I said, oh. a lot of people, um, if you talk talking, to someone, no yeah, even if there's a little anxiety and <laughs> life just brings that period, but right. That's a, that's a very important question. Okay. So, I mean, in retrospect, I think I could have been helped by being on medication during my subsequent pregnancy, but because mm-hmm. of the amount of anxiety that I already had, part of that anxiety became also connected to the thought of taking medication. So, oh, but if I take meds, that could do something to the developing fetus and then I'll feel guilty about that. Like it just, it, it, it wasn't possible because it weighed too heavy. Um, but of course, as you know, there are medications that have been found to be safe during pregnancy. Okay. And, you know, in terms of maternal mental health, Um, most research is saying that you really have to weigh out uh, the health of the mother uh, during pregnancy and afterward um, when thinking about this because her life matters, you know, just as much as any other. And if she's Mm going to be the one carrying this baby and then connecting with the baby after the baby arrives, you know, that, that needs to be heavily considered. Um, I think if people are ruminating, I think if people have a hard time feeling present in their lives, I think if people are finding themselves caught up in what if Mm -hmm. cycles and are having difficulty believing that this pregnancy can work out despite, you know, knowing that it's healthy, 
then it's, I think it's helpful to get a perspective that's outside of friendship circles and family. Because again, you know, I mean, the psychologist may not be an MD doing sonograms, but friends and family tend to stick with the sort of like, it's going to work out this time. And a therapist instead will actually, of course, listen to the feelings and explore the feelings. And I think too, I don't know if you work like this, but sometimes the anxiety is ancient or family related or childhood bound. Mm -hmm. And so even if, of course, it's completely, you know, legitimate to have this anxiety because of the previous pregnancy, I love to also learn more about people's histories. And I think when we make those connections and we, when we make meaning, there tends to be a real sort of release Mm-hmm. Uh, of some of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think. Is that I, what you were asking now or were you yeah, asking no. more about medication? Okay. No, no, I'm asking that. Okay. And, you know, okay. even as the question came out, I thought, gosh, it's never, it's never too early to go. I mean, I say that all the yes. time. It's never too early to get help. But if, if, That's right. if something is coming up for you, check it out and, and reach out for help. And, and yes. I love, I think even what you're saying there, it was part of my next question, but you're answering it already in the sense of like, how do we heal? Well, we can begin to heal by exploring even that anxiety. And where is it rooted? The amount of energy we spend trying to stave off difficult feelings is just enormous. And so I think if in within the context of therapy, we can really drop into whatever it is. Uh-huh. There's such relief there, right? I love that you said that. Just drop <laughs> into that emotion, right? Like just drop into it and and feel it. And uh, yes. you know how powerful that and, and trusting that you do come out of it when you allow yourself to feel it for what it is. Exactly. And 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 remembering, I think like therapy can teach us that, you know, even if the therapist just says one sentence during that 50 minute hour, like, you know, no one feeling lasts forever. That could change someone's life. Just hearing something like that. It's yes. like, okay, actually, yeah, no, you're right. This morning I was feeling joy. Uh-huh. This, the rest of the day I've been feeling like I can't breathe but maybe tomorrow I'll be, I'll feel differently. Like that, I think that just kind of evens things out and lends hope to that dynamic landscape, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember really remember like sitting with this, okay, here are these thoughts and feelings that show up and, and putting on that acceptance hat and compassion for myself. And then also asking myself, what, what is going to feel good for, what do I need in this moment in order to be well here today? Mm. Wow. What, what was the answer to that? (laughs) I like that. That's a really important one. Yeah. Often, sometimes the answer to that was just breathe. Yes. You know, the power of our breath, just breathing and watching that wave of emotion. Yes. So rather than stifling it away, putting on the happy face or whatever that is. Yes. But then other, that's other powerful. Time, creating, creating was one of my things mm. that, that I would go into. So the gardening connection with the earth, um, connection with friends, those were the things that really helped me for that time. Right. Like getting out of your head and 
and right and connecting with a community that cares about you or right I think that's can be a potent salve for sure what would you say as just a, a final question and I know we have we've been dripping this book and so I can't wait to hear what it <laughs> I know it's here <laughs> without giving away the book. What, yes. what was that? What would be your kind of offering around healing, whether it was your own experience or something that you talk about with people? I mean, you've already talked about dropping into emotion, but what's, mm. what would be that? Well, what I'll say on that is a few things, but that a healthy pregnancy does not heal the wound of what came before. Mm. So everybody knows that, but everybody still, we all need to hear that. I think, Um, you know, so babies don't replace babies and healthy babies don't replace grief and the sort of stain of trauma sometimes. Um, For me, I think I healed most through my weekly therapy sessions that I was already engaged in before the loss, but continued with. And, but, you know, almost surprisingly, I think that writing about the topic is actually what's kind of shored me up most. And because through the writing, I ended up connecting with this global community of lost moms. Mm-hmm. And I had really, even though I had heard about, you know, October being pregnancy and infant loss awareness month and October 15th being the awareness day. And I had heard all of this, but until, you know, I was in it, I didn't really realize there was a whole world, a subculture, we could say, uh, talking about this and so it it helped me heal to connect with people I didn't know in real time but who could relate on the deepest level to the vulnerability that was brought about by the loss Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like you though it's sort of like getting into the garden getting into the writing I think creativity and connection are probably and I see therapy as both of those honestly oh yeah because you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about the book. So the book, it's called I Had a Miscarriage, A Memoir, A Movement, and it's out March 9th, which is coming up real fast. Yeah. And it is available everywhere books are found. There's also an audiobook option as well. And it's a, it's a memoir meets manifesto, basically. So I'm inviting people, you know, into the intimate details of my life while also uh, sharing other women's stories and, and really, though, shining a light on the complexity of what this work was like for me hmm. after my loss and coming back to the office and sitting with patients, processing their experience of my loss and of theirs. Mm-hmm. And just how it changed everything, really. Yeah. Um, and it's a real call to action. Like, can we once and for all bid farewell to this silence, the stigmatization surrounding the topic, the shame that seems to be flagrant? And can we simply normalize this topic? That's the hope. Mm. But I love that you said that earlier, that you think this book could do that. I mean... 
I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, something has to happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, celebrities have been talking about it more recently, which I think can be very helpful. But 2020, absolutely, right? Right. But But it's just time. We need a shift so that that so that we're not even having this conversation anymore. But we'll get there. We we'll get will. There. I will have all the links in the show notes. And thank I you. personally can't wait to get my hands on your book. And thank you, Jessica, for just sharing your vulnerability and your thank wisdom you. here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. Until next time, take good care of you and remember you are right where you need to be. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.